0: How many of you have a title in your job? How many of you have a title? Do they call you the title at your job? They just call you boss. You may hear it. Here comes the boss man. Uh, I'm in an industry as a pastor where people want to know what they what they should call me. And uh, I, if any of you have been around me any length of time, I'm not hung up on titles. I don't really care. Uh, as long as you call me, <laughs> what do they say? I don't care what you call me, just don't call me late for dinner. But um, I'll go to different places. They say, "Well, how do you want to be? How do you want to be addressed? Do you want to be addressed, Reverend Jones?" I'm like, "Do I look like a reverend?" <laughs> um, uh, do you want to be called Pastor Jones? And I don't know. I just don't. I don't think I fit in, and so. Uh, a lot of people call me Pastor Chris or, or something like that, <laughs> something variation of that. Um, uh, when I was a youth pastor, they called me P. Crizzle. Again, do I look like a P. Crizzle? Uh, my kids had nicknames for me, and um, my my uh, middle daughter calls me Father John. That's not even my middle name, and so I don't know where she gets that either. Uh, But it's just a name. She came up uh, a a sign of loving uh, endearment, Father John. Uh, I have some friends that every time I show up around them, they'll go, Reverend, the Reverend Jones is here. So, um, you know, it's important. uh, Sometimes titles are important. You know, you you wouldn't address the pope like you would the pizza guy coming to your house, would you? Like, we got to leave him a tip. Um, The way you think about people, the way you address people, can be indicative of the way you think about them. Um, So, so I understand in my position. uh, Like, I'm I go on the uh, I'm on a radio program once a month, and. I never tell anybody this. The, the staff asked me the other day in a staff meeting. I was on the radio last Monday, and, uh, they, and we do a, about a 25-minute segment, and we're just talking about different things and how to not be a loser. And um, <laughs> it was actually how to not to be a loser for Valentine's Day. So um, uh, it's on 1340 WEPM, and, it, and I, some of you know that's like a lifelong dream of mine, being fulfilled. Sometimes they say, hey, do you want to just call in? I'm like, no, no, no. I want to be there. I want to put the headsets on. I want to pull the microphone close. I want my own show. <laughs> and so, um, so I'm, I'm interviewing. So when I first started going in, they said, how do you want us to, to address you? And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. So they'll, they'll say, Pastor Chris Jones from the Hedgesville Church. That's, that's how they'll say it. And so maybe one day they'll call me, just, hey, Chris is here from Hedgesville Church. But what I realized was the, the way they think about me will, will kind of dictate how they address me at times. And that's true of the way you address God. Because some of us have misconceptions about God's character, who he is, or what his intent is in our lives. And so oftentimes when we start praying, we may pr- start praying out of a position of fear because we think that God's ready to hammer us. And so, so we might address him that way or, or we think maybe God's just trying to catch us. Which you know what the irony is with God? He didn't have to catch you. He knew you were going to do it. It's like if I know my kids are going to do it, it's not catching them. It's like I already knew. I didn't have to catch you. So what happens is the, one of the most important things, if not the most important thing in your life, is the way, is the way that you frame who God is and his characteristics and his his character and the things that he can't change there are some things God can't change and that's the fact that he's good amen God doesn't God doesn't go into one day being good and then the next day go ah I think I'll be evil today it's his character he can't be dishonest And so there's things about him that never change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He he was good when Adam and Eve walked the earth. He was good when the the flood came. He was good uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was good at all those times. He was good when Israel walked in the wilderness for 40 years. He was still good. He was good when you lost your loved one. He was good when you went bankrupt. He was good when you didn't think you were going to make it. He was still good. Amen? Amen? And so we wake up all these thousands of years later to a God who is still good. And if you believe that about him, it changes the way you address him. Amen? Because now I'm coming to a good, loving father. Not a judgmental God. Not a God just waiting to get me, catch me in the act. And so it's important the way you think about that. It's important that we realize God is good. A. W. Tozer said this. I'm going to read it. it's it's a, it's a section, um, pretty decent section. He says, "What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us." Did you hear what he said? What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. When I think about God, what do I think about? Do I think that He's good? Do I think that He's just? The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. So if, you, if you're used to being a part of a group of people that don't, doesn't think God can do anything, then you're not going to accomplish as much as a guy who thinks God can do everything. Amen? Amen? Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our middle image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. What do we think about God as a family? Do we think, man, nothing is impossible? All things are possible with God. That he is good. He's for us and with us. Do we think that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning It's going to change the way we pray, all right? All right, so stand to your feet. We're going to read this together. I want you to say it with me. Psalm 100, verse 5. Are you ready? Is it on the screen? Is the verse on the screen? Is it 100, verse 5 on there anywhere? I'm looking for the guys back there. Well, say it after me then. Or you should have it memorized, so just say it. (laughs) Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is always good. He is, and kind. he is always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on, and his goes on, and on. To, each to each succeeding generation. All right, now you have it memorized. Read it with me. Ready? Say it with me. The Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, you didn't say that it ended with Moses. You didn't say it ended with David. You didn't say it ended with your son, Jesus. But you said your goodness kept going. Your goodness kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going. And here we stand today, recipients of your goodness. And my prayer is today, Lord, that you convince us even more that you are good. Lord, maybe there's here, somebody here for the first time who's never experienced, never realized the goodness of God. I pray today they taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you for this moment we have together. And we pray, God, that we be changed for eternity because we spent time with you. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. You know the age-old argument: If God is good, how can so many bad things happen? If God is good, how can so many bad things happen? You may be, you may be in that scenario this morning where maybe this week didn't go so well. You got bad news, and you're having the question: If God is good, how do bad things happen? I've I've dealt with people over the years that 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 tried to do everything right and just things didn't end up the way they thought it would be. And they thought, how can God let that happen? And, um, and I don't have all the answers for that, but here's what scripture is absolutely clear that God is good. The reason there is good in the world is because God, amen. Amen. Could you imagine a world? Could you imagine, listen, we live in a country that was formed on Christian principles that, that every life had value and every person has inherent value and every person has these inherent rights. Human beings didn't just come up with that. I hate to get into a history lesson, but we're not that smart because I like it when I get what I want. Anybody else room want to be honest? I like it when I get what I want, right? Well, guess what? That's a dictatorship in my house. That's not what we live in in this country. My kids don't get a vote. You ain't 18, you ain't voting. This is what we're having for dinner. I always find it fascinating. Uh, I don't think, now my kids are older, and so we, we'll say, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? Uh, and my son always says, somewhere where we can get a $30 steak, you know, I'm like, we, we did this last night. We, um, I went out on a date with my wife. <laughs> Boy, that's crazy <laughs> at our age. So we left the debit card home with our kids and said, um, hey, uh, Emma took, we said, hey, you can take Carter and you guys go to dinner. They text us. And, and want to go to a more expensive restaurant that we had planned. And my wife was like, No, we're not spending 50 bucks for you guys to go to dinner. We're the ones on a date. <laughs> You're kidding me? So, but, but growing up, I never asked them what they wanted for dinner. You're four, you don't get a choice. You're gonna eat whatever we fix. Why is a Daddy, and broccoli? Because I'm the dictator in this house. So, what we enjoy as a nation is because of the goodness of God, not because we're smart. Do you hear that? We're living in the blessing of God. Because there were certain things when our nation started, we're not perfect, but there were certain things when our nation started that said that, said that we have inali- inalienable rights. To life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where, but, but, but where'd that come from? Because we are God's creation. And there's value in us. And so, so the early founding fathers said, listen, there's value in people that government shouldn't be able to take away. There's things about people inherently that government shouldn't be able to interfere with. And so you have the right to do what you want to do and nobody else dictates that to you. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. I wish somebody would tell me what to do every now and then. Get married. You'll figure it out. <laughs> don't, don't infer that my wife is like that. I'm praying for you. you get me in trouble. (laughs) The reason there's good in the world is because we have a good creator. God is the reason for all the good in the world. All good things come from above. I I found myself this week praying that, just starting out saying, God, you're good. God, you're good. And when we're we're praying uh, in the morning, I'll say, God, I know good things come from you. I know good things come for you. So here's a here's question. Well then, well, then why is there evil in the world? Because man chose at the beginning, all right? But the issue is that God is so good that he gave you the ability to choose. He even gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose, which if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. Because it costs God more work to give us the ability to choose than it would if he didn't give us the ability to choose. But because God is good, he said, I want them to to have a choice. And you can see how the goodness of God actually gave you the choice to love him. Isn't that crazy? That's, That's so unlike me. I wanna force people to like me, don't you? No, 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 you have to like me. I'm your boss. So the thing is, is that there's evil in the world because God gives us the ability to choose. So you know if God gives people the ability to choose, sometimes they're going to choose evil, not good. Amen? And sometimes bad things happen to good people because people choose bad things. And we end up being impacted by it. But I need to let you know right up front that doesn't change the fact that God is inherently good. Because one person chooses evil and it impacts my life even if I'm choosing good does not then therefore mean that God is not good. It means God in his goodness gave humans a choice and some people chose evil. And I ended up being impacted by the evil that some people chose. But again, I hate to beat a, I don't know if that's politically correct to say it, a dead horse? Is that what they say? I hate to beat a dead horse. I don't even know where that came from. I was born before political correctness, so I still have all these things in my head. I hate to beat a dead horse. But God is good even when bad things happen. We're going to get into this here in a little bit. God is still good even when bad bad things happen. How do I know God is good? First thing we're going to talk about. God's plans for my life will always be good. Can I ask you, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because there's people in here that know you. Have you ever planned for something bad to happen to someone else? I just did that to see if anybody knee-jerk would raise their hand. Have you ever planned something bad to happen? I know you have. I've planned for bad things to happen. Anybody ever been in a fight? Yeah? Ever been in a fist fight? You were planning on something bad to happen. I mean, if if you're going to swing at another human being, on the end of that swing is not the goodness of God. That's not what's happening. Me and my brother fought, if we fought once, we fought every day of our lives growing up. And there was never the, listen, I'm, I'm hitting you because the goodness of God is trying to get in, into you. No, it was like, I don't even know what it was for most of the time. My, when we got to teenagers, my parents used to sit us down and go, you're going to kill each other. Yep. <laughs> That's the goal one way or the other God has never planned anything but good for you There's no amen's because that's hard for some of you to believe You say yeah but it all it all hasn't been good That's right But his plan is good So so we get into this difficult area in our lives where our lives haven't all been good. And now you want me to believe that God's plan for my life is all is always good. So how does that flesh out? I, I don't understand if God's plan was always good. How, how, how does my life turn out the way it is? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the, I know what I've planned for you says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you hope and a good future. And when you call to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. We, We said that last week. Now, what happens is we have to reconcile our life not always being good with God always having good plans for us. And sometimes that's difficult. So here's what I want you to realize about you. That God didn't just create you. And then say, hey, figure it out. and However this thing works out, it works out. No, it's just, it says, from the foundations of the, of the world, from the foundations of everything, that he knew you and he planned for you and he set out to, to do good for you and, and he made all these plans. But like a loving father, sometimes the plan... Is there any parents here who have ever corrected their kid? Anybody? Some of you' are like, "I'm not going to admit it. I don't know what type of church this is yet." <laughs> no, if you have kids, you corrected them, right? <laughs> Did you start out with, "Daddy's going to spank your butt because I love you?" Go, go, bye wee,. Remember that a couple weeks ago So sometimes our life we get it, we get it, it gets cloudy because because God, Jeremiah 29, 11, you have to remember, you have to take that into context. All of the all of God's people were being exiled into Babylon. Are you kidding me? So you can imagine when God says this through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to hurt you. You gotta give you a hope and a the future. They're all like, What? No, 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 no. Don't prejudge what's getting ready to happen here as me being evil. No, I'm a good God, and this plan, as difficult as it is, is to prosper you. And so what happens is we automatically disassociate ourselves from the goodness of God when our life becomes difficult. And that's the wrong thing to do. So what I found out is, is oftentimes through the most difficult times of my life, God is actually working out his good and perfect will. He's saying, listen, listen, Chris, Chris, don't freak out right now. I know it looks dire, I know it looks serious, I know it looks difficult, but I know the plans I have for you, and you're going to have to walk through the, you're going to have to walk through the briars, you're going to, to walk over the mountain, you're going to have to walk down deep in the valley, and, and, and King David knew it best, he said, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, why? Because you're with me, now why would it matter if he was with him? Because he's good! So it doesn't, David didn't say, because you're good, I never walk through it, He said, because you're good, I won't be afraid when I am. So let me say this to you this morning. If you are walking through it, maybe knee-deep muck boot walking through it. We smelled you when you walked in this morning. And you're being tempted to say, God, you're not good right now. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to buckle down with every ounce of energy in your life. And look the devil in the face and say, he's still good. He's still good. Because the very beginning of you coming out of the valley of the shadow of death is a realization that God is not trying to kill you in it. That he's walking you through it. Jeremiah said, God is not trying to kill you in Babylon. He's trying to strengthen you in Babylon. He's saying, listen, I know the plan. Trust the plan. God is like the guy that runs the A-team. Come on, all you people that grew up in the 80s. Help me out. What did they always used to say after the bomb blew up behind them and, and they were walking away? I love it when a plan comes together. God is saying that over and over and over again in your life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you get to the other side, God goes, I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. I'm so waiting on that to come on Netflix so my kids can watch it. The A-Team. You're not an accident. What you're walking through right now is not an accident. God put a lot of thought in creating your life. Let me, I'm spending too much time on this point, but I need to make sure it hits home. I want you to think about how intricately perfectly God has woven the perfect plan for your life with the perfect plan with the person sitting beside you and the person sitting beside you and you and you and you and on down look across the room to the person on the other side you haven't even shaken hands with you don't even know their name you don't even you look at them and you don't even want to know them but the same God intricately, perfectly, without flaw, without any bit of chaos, wove both of your lives together in such a way that you'd be in the same building on the same morning, listening to the same guy over and over and over again. How does that happen? Because God's good and perfect will is weaving you through eternity. And He never messes up. It's crazy. My wife just bumped into somebody the other day at the store, and, the, and, and, and it was this conversation that happened, and something about our future, and we, we started, and it's, and, it's, and it's a positive thing. And the woman looked at her and said, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Am I always like, oh, really? No. No, she came home to me and went, And we did that little thing. Because every now and then you get this, wow, God, right? Even though I walked through the valley of shadow death, I'll fear no evil. David at times went, oh man, yeah. Yeah, you're still here. You're still good. You're still good. You're still good. You're still good. God's plan is good for you. And there's people here today that I know you're having problems believing that because you're like, man, there's nothing in my life right now that feels good about it. I'm telling you one thing. Every time my dad walked me into the bedroom and said, bend over, you're going to learn how to listen. I'm like, God, there is nothing good about your will for my life right now. I'm not saying God's punishing you, but let me tell you something. I'm skipping ahead because there's another point. I've learned more from the difficulty in my life than I have the abundance. And I thank God that he's not raising a spoiled brat. And you should, too. Just look up and say, thank God that you're not raising a spoiled brat. Because people hate spoiled brats. Don't they? Look at your neighbor. Maybe they're one. People hate spoiled brats. God's plan for my life will always be good. Psalms 31, 19, it says, God, your goodness is so great. You have stored up great blessing for those who honor you. You do so much for those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. <laughs> blessing them before the watching world. Romans eight, twenty-eight. watch this. We know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God or called according to his purpose. We say that, people say that phrase all the time. The more you pray, the better you know his purpose. Now watch this. Watch this. Here's, here's how I know God is good and his plan for you is good. Because even when you screw it up, he takes what you screwed up and he whips it up in the blender with everything else that he had already planned and he makes it come out good anyway. You ever experienced that? I have trouble praying for God to fix things that I broke. Anybody else that way? Because I, 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 I like to think I'm a self-made man, you know? If I broke it, I can fix it. And so if I break a relationship, I have a hard time going, God, could you fix that for me? I'd be talking to him about it all day long. Which you should. Because God even takes what we ruin. Romans 8.28 doesn't say, God works only the things that you do right together for good. God only does the good. God only takes the good things that you do and works them to get together for good. No, it says he takes What? It, he causes Somebody say it out loud. Come on. Everything. Everything. Okay. Okay, so So when you did that thing that almost ruined your marriage, when you did that thing that caused you to get fired, when you did that thing that caused you to get arrested, when you did that thing that caused you to break the relationship off, when you did that thing that caused you to get demoted, when you did that thing that caused your kids not to talk to you, when you did that thing. Wait a second. We know that God causes- You know how I know God's good? Because the goodness of God can take the badness of you and somehow, it's got like a ninja food processor, man. Do you really, let let me say this. I, I I saw, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld's wife wrote a book about how you can take bad food like spinach. Come on, man, help me out a little bit. Help me out. Why all of a sudden in 2019 you got to put spinach in everything? Just leave it alone. It was fine before you put the green stuff in it. It was fine the original way. But, but I saw she wrote a book that she could grind up spinach and all kinds of stuff and her kids wouldn't even know it was in there. What sick person does that? Why would you grind up bad food and put it in good food and then make it all try to taste not like bad food but the deal was is she was trying to get the nutrients from the what they called good food which has no flavor whatsoever at best it's a bad flavor and grind it up and put it in brownies which we've been fine for hundreds of years on their own you know why because the brownie in itself was not good and she was trying to redeem the brownie so her kids could eat it because her kids would eat a brownie but they wouldn't eat spinach so God can take this stuff that we're not proud about whip it up into his good will and put it in the thing that he created us to do and you wake up in the morning and you say God you just made the brownie taste better you just made the brownie better for me. I thought I was going to screw that up. I thought, I thought I was ruined. I thought it would never work again. I thought I was destined for failure. But you took all the stuff that I messed up and you stuck it in the ninja and it just whipped it up, whipped it up, whipped it up. And now here I stand. And all that stuff that was my fault, you took it and you made it taste like a brownie. Come on, there's got to be more than two people in here excited about that. (laughs) I know God's plan is good for me because he can take what I screw up and turn it all the way around for my benefit. He didn't say only the things that you do that please him. He said he'll cause everything to work together for good. Everything. All of you are going to be checking your brownies for stuff now. Hmm. Even your hurts from the sins of others. We talked about this beginning of the year, Genesis fifty twenty. Joseph said to his brothers, your plan was to hurt me. You ever felt like looking at somebody like that? Your plan was to hurt me. But God took that spinach you're trying to get me to eat, whipped it up into a brownie. He says, your plan was to hurt me. But God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. This is redemptive suffering. How God can take suffering and turn it into something good. His plan is not to waste anything. God is the greatest recycler on the planet. You thought you separating cardboard and plastics was an accomplishment. He can take all of your failures and even all the bad stuff that everybody else does to you and he can upcycle it and turn it into something amazing. Don't you hate those people on TV They could take a piece of junk that you were getting ready to set out on the trash and next thing you know, they're selling it for 1,000 bucks. And you're like, what? How did you do that? Because they're better than you. No, because they see value in something that you didn't see the value in, and God can bring value out of everything that happens in your life. His plan is always good for you. It's always good. All right, I'm going to have to hurry up now. God always gives me what I, here's how I know he's good. He always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. My good friend Mark Mason says, Just because you're not in prison doesn't mean you're not guilty. It means you didn't get caught. Amen? Amen? I bet you if we went down through and everybody in this room was honest, you would be locked up. Or at least have a big fine. Or at least be on probation. At some point in time in your life. I just happened to love growing up before the age of the internet where nobody put pictures online about anything. I'm sorry, I'm gonna say something that offends some of you young people. Stop posting criminal activity online. I told somebody the other day, if we were doing something wrong and somebody pulled out a camera, everybody took off. So you're not taking pictures of this? Now you pause in the middle of doing something wrong in order to take a picture. Stop doing that. It's like, oh, let's go rob this house. First of all, selfie in front of the house. What are you doing? I knew it was a big deal when our first uh, child, we, go, we started touring colleges, and we were at uh, Virginia Tech, and we're sitting there, and the dean of students stood up and said, When it comes down to it, we will look at your social media account, and that could be the determining factor in whether you're going to get in this college or not. There's 15,000 people that are freshmen that apply. We're going to take 6,000 of them, and so if all of you have good grades, we're going to keep digging. And I looked at my daughter and said, "You better clean it up right now. (laughs) If if there's any anything on there by you see on a car, you better get it off." God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. If we all got what we deserve, none of us would be here. Psalm 103, verse 10, starting in verse 10, he has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. Thank you, God. He's taken our sins away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. Some of you need to hear that this morning right now. He is not treating you like you deserve for our sins or paid us back for wrongs. In his goodness, he has taken our sin away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. Listen, when King David committed adultery, he didn't only commit adultery. He set out a plot to have the woman's husband killed. The woman's husband came to David. He brought him to David. And David, they were in battle. The guy was a leader. And and he came to David, had him brought to him, and he said, Hey, listen, why don't you just go home and take a sabbatical? Bathsheba was already pregnant. And he thought, if I could get her husband to come home and sleep with her, then I could pass it off on him. And the guy was so honorable, he wouldn't even do it. He wouldn't even go home and sleep. So David. Had the orders put that he would be put on the front lines and had him killed. Now, is there any time in human history where somebody should have got it? Would have been David. How do you do things like that? But Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, God in your goodness have mercy on me. Wash away all my guilt and make make me clean again. From my sin, cleanse me. You know why David had the audacity to pray for God to forgive him? Because he knew he was good. And he knew that God didn't always give him everything he deserved. He knew he was good. And I want to shine some light at the end of your tunnel. If you're dealing with something right now that you think God could never forgive me, he already has. All you have to do is ask. And it says if you are faithful to confess your sins, he's faithful. And just to forgive you of those same sins. So the forgiveness is there for the taking. So any condemnation you're feeling after, after sin is one that you heaped on yourself. Because forgiveness is always being offered by a good God. Forgiveness is always at your disposal. For David, I don't know anybody here that's had committed adultery and had, their, had the husband killed. Don't raise your hand. It's going to freak everybody out. Like, are you kidding me? We're sitting beside him. But David had the audacity after the prophet came and said, hey, you're the, you're the guy, you did this. David prays, God in your goodness, have mercy on me, wash away all my guilt, make me clean again, cleanse me from this sin. God forgives you not because you're good. No, the the inherent reason I'm asking for forgiveness is because I'm not good. That's not why God is forgiving me because, oh man, I'm going to forgive Chris because he's great. No. No, God's forgiving me because he's good. Because he's just, because he's right. He's forgiving me because of his character, not mine. But God does more than just forgive us. We talked about the prodigal son a couple months ago. He doesn't just forgive us, he welcomes us back into the position Let me say this to you. If God has forgiven you and welcomed you back, then you have to stop punishing yourself. That's part of the agreement. That's part of the agreement. The prodigal son comes back and the father puts the ring on his finger, puts the robe on him, kills the fatted calf and starts a party. Could you imagine if the prodigal son walked around like, well, I don't deserve this. No, I don't deserve it. I think what breaks God's heart is when we sin, he forgiveness, us, and then we keep acting like we need forgiveness for the same thing. Now listen, I'm gonna let you in a little secret. I grew up in old school Pentecostal where you lost your salvation every 30 seconds. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Every 30 seconds. If you thought of a cuss word, you're like, Lord, save me again. I just, you know, I just feel like the spirit left me when I said that. It was so bad I had a family member. Uh, they called me one time, and they said, uh, man, I got saved again. I said, saved again? Like the first time didn't work? <laughs> I thought when he saved you, like he, he died on the cross? Did he, do it, did he have to do the whole thing again? He saved you again. Now, I know for some of you, you just went, he's Baptist. I knew it. He's Baptist. <laughs> I know some of you, and he's Baptist. I know. This person didn't walk away from God. They committed a sin. So when they said, I got saved I said, for what? Well, I did this, this, and this. I said, does that mean you're not saved or you just need to ask for forgiveness? Because when you walk in the house and you do something wrong, you're still my kid. Amen. Biologically, they can't change that. As much as they may want to. Biological, they can't change that. But I invite them, the father invited the prodigal son back into the position. It wasn't that he wasn't his son anymore. It was that he was estranged. But when he got the sense about him to come back and ask for forgiveness, he he was given forgiveness. He didn't have to go through a ceremony to make him his son again. Some of you need to understand that because you keep going to God like He's disowned you, and that's not what's happened. Oh, I thought, I, I thought that would free a couple of people up, but all of you are like, wow. <laughs> so if you're being the party pooper, God's still trying to throw a party. Amen? We sin, and the goodness of God forgives us, and He invites us back into position with Him. He invites us back into pos- Hey, here's the ring. Here's the rope. Let's kill the fatted calf. Yeah. Don't walk around with a long face because God forgave you. You should be happy about it. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, put a smile on. He forgave you for that really dumb thing you did. <laughs> Listen to this Psalm 27. Starting in verse ten, even if my mother, or father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. My enemies are waiting for me to fall, yet I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord while I'm living here in the world. He's the God of second chances. Oh, let me let me elaborate on that a little bit. He's the God of third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances, and sixth chances. Some of you are on your ninety seventh chance, and He keeps forgiving you and inviting you back. You're still my kid. You're still my kid. You're still my kid. Thank you, God. All right, the third thing. God put my good above his own good. This is the heart of the gospel. This This is the basis of what the gospel is. There is no other religion on the planet that has this testimony, that the God who created us Once we fell away from him, then came on his own to us, died on a cross, resurrected for our benefit. No other story can be told like that. But we worship God. The creator, where John says, by him all things were created, and without him nothing was created. In the, word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus, in the beginning, was God, and he was responsible for creation. And that same God came to earth as Emmanuel, God with us, and he lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day, bore all of our suffering. Why? Not because you were good, but because the goodness of him made him put us above him no other story there's no other religion on the planet that talks about that 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 that, that, that can have that testimony none other god loved us so much john 3:16 that he gave his only son That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. You don't have to be the right race. You don't have to be the right from the right place. You don't have to be the right anything. All you have to be is forgiven. So every other religion says you have to live up to God's standards. God said in his goodness, I'll come down. I don't know why you choose anything else. Because trust me, I've tried to live up to a few standards and it's hard. I don't like standards. <laughs> John 10, 14, 15. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, and I will sacrifice my life for my sheep. John 15, 13. The greatest love you can have is to give your life for others. The cross that Jesus hung on is the ultimate picture of God's goodness. No one has ever looked at a cross hanging around somebody's neck and thought, well, God's not good. It's the symbol of the ultimate loving act. I'm gonna lay my life down so you don't have to. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. So not only, not only did he die for our sin, but then he was able to take that goodness and put it in us. You know what? Sometimes I think I could do that. I could lay my life down for others. And then other times I'm like, no way. No way. What if it was God's plan from the beginning? Could you imagine the purpose Jesus came to the earth from the very beginning was to display the goodness of God in his death was to display the goodness of God in his suffering from the very beginning God planned that he would not leave us estranged but he'd come to us and in the ultimate display of his love and affection for us he'd die In our place. Romans 4, verse 25, Jesus died for our sins and rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness. In Romans 8, 32, it says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave Christ up for us all, won't he now also give us everything else we need? So, if God was unwilling to spare his own son, how much more do you think he's willing to give you what you need now? Think about that. It's such a small thing. Lord, I need you to pay my mortgage next. I, 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 I don't know if I could do it. And, and, and God's saying, why can't you trust me? I already sent Jesus. Why can't you trust me? Jesus already died on the cross for your sins. Isn't that way more important than your mortgage? Not right now. Yes. All right, the last thing. Won't you stand to your feet? That'll make me quick. He does not say yes to every re- request. <laughs> we talked last week that a God is not a magic wand, He's not fairy dust, He's not a genie in a bottle. He's God. He's a loving father. And just like the loving fathers in this room, I didn't give my kids everything they wanted. I didn't give him everything they asked for. My son would have been on a motorcycle at eight. I didn't give him everything he asked for. Part of being good is taking care of people, is protecting people. and No loving parent gives a child everything they ask for. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish to each, would you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you as sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm praying by nature as a parent, you would never give anything to your kids that would hurt them. I know I wouldn't. And so what I'm confident of is that the goodness of God keeps him from giving me anything that would hurt me. His plan for me is good. He doesn't say yes to every request. You remember James and John, the disciples, their mother came to Jesus, and and this is a rule of mine, and I've said it here a lot, never let your mom ask for, for a promotion at work for you. It's not good. Especially if you're like 40. But this was a situation where the mom came to Jesus and said, Hey, when you come into your kingdom, will you let my one son sit on your right and your one son sit on your left? <laughs> I can imagine him standing in the background going, Mom, cut it out. Cut it out. She's like, Jesus, I want, my kid, I want you to give my kids something good. I want to know when I'm gone, they're going to have a position with you. You know what he said? You don't even know what you're asking for. You don't even know what you're asking for. You see, James and John's mother had a limited perspective of what was happening. Jesus saw the whole picture and he said, I can't, I'm not the one that's gonna be dishing those positions out. And by the way, you don't understand what's gonna have to happen to get that position. If you're gonna sit in authority with me, you gotta walk through the suffering with me. So did they get that position? When she asked for it, no, he didn't give it to him. Just like sometimes when I pray and I say, God, I want you to do this, this, and this. Big fat no comes back. And I have to trust that his vantage point of what's happening is better than mine. And he knows that he could give me something else better than what I'm asking for. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever walked into some place and man, I'd like one of those, and when they brought it out, it was better than what you asked for? When you got the deal, it was actually a better deal than what you had originally intended on. If we could trust God in every area of our life like that, where we pray and we say, God, I need this to happen right now. When it doesn't happen, we just automatically switch and go, oh, there must have been a better deal. That's why you didn't give it to me. There must be something better coming down the way, because I know you're good you wouldn't withhold anything from me. So what I'm thinking now is I'm not upset because I didn't get it. I'm excited because you didn't give it to me. Because if you didn't give me that thing that I thought was good, it means that you've got something better for me ahead. And so I'm really excited now, Lord. I'm not upset about it. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to whine and moan that you didn't give it to me because I believe you're good. And you've got something better in front of me now. I'm excited about it, God different what our viewpoint would be? How much, how much more positive would our outlook on life be? We have to have faith like Job. There's a song that uses a phrase that Job says, you give and take away, you give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, um, Job, Job is in the most dire circumstance that I think I've ever seen anybody. It says his servants were coming in one after the before one of them got done talking. Another one would walk in and give him bad information. Could you imagine being sitting at your office desk and one guy that works for you comes in and says, man, you know what? All your livestock's dead. Before he gets those words out of his mouth, the other guy is walking through the threshold of the door saying, hey, listen, all of your, all of your fields have burned. And the next guy comes in. Hey, all of this stuff is destroyed. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. Everything's gone. gone. By the way, your kids are dead. Everything's gone. One right after another, right after another, right after another. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And then he gets sick. It says he sits in a pile of ashes and takes broken pottery and scrapes the boils off of his skin. I don't know about you, but that's pretty sick. And yet he says, even if he slays me, I'll trust him because something good from God is coming. And when his friends came and had no idea how to encourage him, he trusted in the goodness of God. And if you read to the end of Job, his latter years are better than his former years. Why? Because God's good. Because God is good. Father, we thank you this morning. Come on, all across the room, if you're having trouble this morning, believing God is good, give him a chance right now. Maybe raise your hands and surrender to him. Maybe just look up and say, God... I want to believe in your goodness this morning. It's been difficult for me too, but I believe that you want something good in my life and I'm willing to take the risk to trust you today, Lord. It's not working out the way I want, it's not working out the way I expected, but God, I believe you're good i believe your plan for me is good i believe you're giving me good things i believe lord that even in a in a know that better things are coming lord i believe you are good and it's going to change the way i look at my life and i want to start that this morning change the way i see this week and when we communicate with you this week god reinforce it in our hearts and in our minds that what you are doing in our life is good. That your plan for us is good. And we can be confident of that today. We thank you for it, God. You're a good God. And it's in that good name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, if you believe he's good, give him honor and praise this morning.